Raise your hand if. Raise your hand if. You have found evangelism to be overwhelming. Hard. Raise your hand if you found evangelism to be discouraging. Raise your hand, I'll simplify this, if you've ever shared the gospel and been abused for it, insulted, attacked. Raise your hand if you have ever felt like, or perhaps presently feel like, you just don't even know where to really begin. Almost all of us on every single one of these, this is for you. It's no... Surprise to the Lord that this comes on a day when we have a lot of folks in the room who spend a lot of time doing evangelism. And you notice that we all, whether we spend a lot of time doing it or we spend very little time doing it, we all have experienced these things. And so the main idea, the one thing, right? If, you're, if you've been with me much, you know I'm big on the one thing. The one thing you're going to take from today's sermon that you write it down and you go home and you go, okay, this, is, this was it. The main thing from today's sermon is this. Jesus wants you to be fully equipped. Jesus wants you to be fully equipped emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually for evangelism. Don't you dare ask me to repeat those in that same order. It's not going to happen, okay? Jesus wants you to be fully, fully, not a little, fully equipped. I, I'm with you. Hold on. He wants you to be fully equipped emotionally, spiritually, physically, and psychologically for evangelism. We'll get it later. You can listen to this online. Here we go. We're going to read this text. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money. No knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Well, we have a one-point text, but that doesn't make it simple. Have you ever seen so many commands? Just 
boom, 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 boom. Jesus is letting them rip. This is what you need to do. And he's very gracious. He gives us a reason for the commands because, boy, don't we like that. I think of Samuel and Casey back there, and I know that if David tells them to do something, I know they're going to be like my kids, and they're going to go, but why? And you might be wondering, but why? Why do I need to go with another person to share the gospel? Why can't I go over here? Why would I stay there? Why? And Jesus is gracious, and he gives you the why. Doesn't he do that? Sometimes he gives you the why when you haven't even asked the question. Think about Nicodemus, right? He answers a question Nicodemus hasn't even got to yet. Well, here we are. In Luke chapter 10, if you're joining us for the first time or, or very recently on a Sunday morning, you might be thinking, well, why is he in Luke chapter 10? Because before Advent, I was in Luke chapter 9. So we're just picking up where we left off, really. Uh, everybody else, it's still been a while, hasn't it? Look at this opening of this text. He says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. After what? Unless you just read Luke chapter 9 a couple times this week, you might not know what. The bulk of the Gospel of Luke to this point has been about Jesus' ministry in the region of Galilee, particularly around Capernaum. He's been dealing with a, a lot of what we might call bumpkins. These are the uneducated. These are the common. These are the simple. These are my kind of people. These people have heard the gospel. They've seen the miracles. They've received Jesus Christ with gladness. But as we'll see in next week's sermon, their lives have not really been transformed. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it said, uh, and this is right, this is two paragraphs in the very end. It began with this. It said, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So this is part of that long trek that Jesus has over many, many months where he goes to Jerusalem. And he doesn't just take a straight path. He takes a very circuitous path because he has missionary work to do. And we're seeing a little bit of that today. In our last passage, in our second to last passage, uh, he sent people into the Samaritan villages and they rejected him. Not because of his message, but because of his destination. It essentially amounted to... Racism and identity politics, which you might consider ironic because these were people who were treated very poor racially. They were discriminated against. Then, in the passage after that, we saw uh, that Jesus told them about the cost of following him. There are many people who want to be Christians. Who doesn't want to get out of hell free? You know? If it was just a card that you could get in Monopoly and you could hand it to God and, and everything would be good. But Jesus taught them that, you know, you may want to follow me, but the cost is tremendous. So our background here is Jesus has been spreading the gospel everywhere. Tons of people have heard it. They've seen the miracles. They've done all that. And they haven't been responded. Other people ha have, have simply rejected him outright without even hearing to him, hearing what he has to say. And others are eager to follow until they find out what it's going to cost. And then they turn away. But here we are in chapter 10, verse 1. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Your text might say 70. This is just a thing with the Greek. Some of the old manuscripts say 70. Some say 72. I promise you those two don't have anything to do with salvation. You're not missing a thing if yours says 70 and not 72. Another sent, he sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
This is not a command, but we're going to camp here for just a moment and look at the wisdom of sending them out two by two. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that, that woe, essentially, cursed is, is the man who does not have a friend with him in his labor. Two gets more in return for their labor. If one falls, another is there to, to pick him up when he stumbles. If one is cold, another is there uh, to warm him. It is very important as we think about evangelism, we look at the pattern of evangelism here, and we consider this two by two, this is just really, really wise. It's not a command. I'm not telling you that you're in sin if you share the gospel by yourself, but I am telling you that if you're going to go out and share the gospel with strangers, it would be wise to stick with Jesus's pattern. It would be wise to keep in mind biblical wisdom. Think about how you at times have been discouraged. Think about how you may have been intimidated or somebody may have threatened you. Think about the times maybe when you've gone to share the gospel and you didn't have the right word, but that, as it were, you, you fell, but your partner there was there to pick you up. And, and the Lord spoke through you together. So though this is not a command, it's not an absolute, it is very, very wise. And I would encourage all of us when we're dealing with strangers and sharing the gospel, be in pairs. Let's look at, at verse, verse 2 here. He says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is a command. This is a command to everyone in this room. This is not a command to go share the gospel. This is a command to pray that God would send people to share the gospel. If you take nothing else out of this pit stop, take that. You need to be praying. You know, you may be in your 80s and thinking to yourself, this is great for the young folks. Go get them, guys. But you have a part to do. Jesus is calling you to pray. And you may be in your 20s or your 30s and you may be thinking, hot dog, I'm ready to go. Don't forget pray. Do you think that God is going to work through you or your group exclusively to save the world? No. Let's take a look at the rest of this, okay? He says here, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. It's a problem, right? This, this idea of the harvest is not an immediate harvest. He's not saying right now, if you will just go out, if we just went out into this neighborhood, there's 2,000 people who would be saved if you would just go. I'm not going to try to guilt you into doing that. That would be abusing this text by misinterpreting this text. This, this word harvest appears one, two, three, four, five, six times total in the Bible. It's not a super common word. Matthew 9.37 is a parallel text. It says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Matthew 13.30 and 39 are highly instructive for us. Verse 30 says, well, let me give you the context. It's the parable where the king has, has sown good wheat, but there are weeds growing up among it. And his, his administrators come and let him know the problem. And he says this, verse 30, let both grow up together until the harvest and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. 
but gather the wheat into my barn. And then verse 39 on the same text, he says, and the enemy who sowed them, that is the weeds, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. So we have this eschatological, that's a fancy word for end times view of the harvest. The harvest is not going to be complete in your lifetime. You and your group or them and their group are not going to finish the harvest. You are a laborer. And you know what this is telling us? Though the harvest is great, in the end, that doesn't mean it's going to necessarily be a great harvest in this moment. And it tells us that you are one of many laborers, which is why it's so important that we pray that God will raise up other laborers. It is not his will that any should perish. John 4.35 is, is the one text that would go the opposite way of this. He says there, uh, verse five, verse 35, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Context here, Jesus is, he's just ministered to this, this Samaritan woman and she's gone back to her village and she's coming back. And the, in the meantime, the disciples have shown up and the disciples are here facing Jesus and Jesus is looking as these Samaritans crest the hill. And he says this, he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. There is a people group right here in front of you. And if you will share the gospel with them, they will be saved. That's not a promise for us. That's not the context of Luke. Okay. But this is so true. Verse 37, for here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now, isn't that true? How often have we met someone and the gospel's been shared with them several times. The Lord's been preparing their hearts. And perhaps we're just the next one to labor, to prune some weeds around them, to water them with the word. Or perhaps we are the one to bring in the harvest. Look on your own life. Did you necessarily get saved the first time you heard the gospel? So be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that we are one of many laborers. Do not be discouraged when you don't have a fruitful harvest every time you go out and share the gospel. And finally, Revelation 14, uh, beginning in verse 14, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man. We know this is Christ. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. With a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Who is this Christ? This is the Lord of the harvest. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Again, just confirming this is end times eschatological in nature, this idea of the harvest. So what do we do with this? David, you have two children. Pray. Pray that the Lord would not only use you or me, but that he would send many people into their lives to share the gospel with them. Some others of you have children. Pray that same prayer. That God would send many, many labors. It may be the work of a lifetime to see them saved. He is able. 
pray for the ministry of children here and, and throughout our city and, and in the schools. Think about Christian teachers and how difficult it is to share the gospel. Pray that they would have boldness. We got a young man right here who was saved his senior year of high school because a librarian shared the gospel with him. Don't tell me God can't and that it doesn't make a difference. I wonder how many people were praying for you. I wonder how many people were praying for that librarian to be used, though they didn't know your name. Families, have lost people into your homes. We, we can get very tribal, right? If all of your friends are Christians, that's a problem. You're to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world. And I know that that is a tough balance. How do you bring lost people in to be around your children and not have them affect your children? That's going to take a lot of work. But you will not save anyone who you are not willing to bring into your life, right? Have them into your homes. Even if you can't make, make it out to go and share the gospel, you can have people in. What does this look like practically? You know, one of the things for me is this. If somebody comes and visits the church, I want to get to know them. If they know the gospel, I want to celebrate that with them. If they don't, I want to share it with them. I've got a wife and three kids and we're about to have a fourth. We're not going to be going out as a family very much, but we can have people in. If you're here and you're a single, pray this prayer. Be a labor. This is to you. Carry out your life with the awareness that people are going to hell. And you have what they need to know. We have a lot of widows and a, and a widower here in this church. Again, you, you may not be able, it may not be a good idea for you to go out to a park or some other place to be sharing the gospel. Pray earnestly. You have a part to play. You see all throughout the Bible where God's heart is moved because of passionate what does this say? Earnestly. Pray earnestly. Earnest prayers. Pray earnestly that God would do this. And not just among us, but in the city and in the nation and in the world. They would raise up many laborers. All right. I got to move or we're never going to get out of here. Amen. Verse 3, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. The next command is go your way. He's simply saying go. Right? This is not the first sermon you've heard about going and doing evangelism, right? Have you gone? Or maybe you went like once. Go. It's the idea of going. This is your life. Now, Christian, go. Why do you go? See, th this is all about imperative and indicative. The imperative is the command. The command is to go. The indicative, the reason why, he says, is because I am sending you. If I say go, that doesn't... Yeah, okay. Just a guy with a purple shirt, man. But no, the Lord of creation, your Savior, who made you, says to go. Right? If you're a child and your mom or your dad says, go do something, what do you do? You do it because you love them, because you respect them, because you fear them, because they have the right, because they feed you. 
because they brought you into this world. Jesus says, go. I am sending you. I want to talk to children or parents with young children. As you go into a school and you talk about Jesus, they may tell you no. They will probably tell you no. Who are you going to listen to? Samuel, who are you going to listen to? If your teacher tells you no, don't talk about Jesus. Is that a command we should obey? No, it is not. Because Jesus himself says to go and to tell them. Your friends don't direct your life. Your teachers don't direct your life. Jesus directs your life. God has called all of us to the life that we have. Single, married, widowed. You don't need to feel like you have a lesser role just because you can't necessarily get out and beat the streets. But you can be just as obedient through prayer, through inviting people in, through encouragement. Obey his command to share the gospel. It's not an option. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. If you've been praying for evangelism to your family, anybody in here been praying for gospel to be shared with their family? Just me? Okay. Are you willing to be the laborer? Have you shared the gospel with them yourself? You know, we have somewhere. Hold up those, those gospel tracts. You know, this may be useful not just in sharing the gospel with them, not just to give to them. This may be useful for us to refresh us of what the gospel is. So that when these conversations come up, it's right there ready to go. We know what to say. We know the truth. We know scriptures to turn to. I would encourage you to take that and read. Don't just go hand it to some stranger. That might work, but read it yourself first. Let's equip ourselves. What else does he say here? He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. That part's weird. I am, and, and what's our reason for this? It's because he is sending us as sheep among the wolves. Do you see it there? In this case, the indicative comes before the imperative. He says, carry no money bag, carry no knapsack, carry no sandals, and greet no one on the road. What does this mean for us? He's sending us as as sheep among the wolves. Well, first of all, what are sheep? They're defenseless, right? He's saying, don't come with a bunch of defenses. Let me be your defense. He's saying, don't be weighed down, encumbered by the things of this world that would slow you down. Don't think about all the things that you need. Just go and trust me. There's so much work to be done if you spend all day making yourself outfitted Ooh. You ever been fishing or hunting and there's that guy and he's got everything? You know, yeah, okay, one person. So, I mean, the guy's got the brand new boots and he's got the flashlight and he's got the toothpick and he's got the this and, and he's got all the, he, he needs a travel trailer just for all his stuff. And of course, it's all got to get clipped. And, and, and so now he's going through the woods and he's jingling, and he's jangling, or he's throwing something out on the lake and every fish sees it and hears it. Just... Get out there and go. Go as sheep among the wolves. This also means not to let fear. Don't let fear of the, 
of the world. Don't let fear of persecution stop you. This is a big thing for families. I talked earlier about if you're going to have lost people into your homes, there is a legitimate fear of how are their kids going to influence my kids? How are my kids going to interpret the things that they say? Well, just practical advice is after they leave, talk to your kids and explain it to them so that they have some reasoning. You know, this is one of the great problems is we, we bring kids up in the church and not necessarily in godly ways. And, and then they get out to the world and they go crazy. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to believe. They don't know how to handle uh, thinking that's not the thinking they've had their entire lives. Part of that is that we haven't equipped them to do that. So talk to your children about what happened at soccer practice. What did your teacher say? How do you interpret that? Oh, Johnny's an atheist? So let's, let's talk about that. Susie wants to be a, a man. Let's, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? Let's equip them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't let the, let the influence of the world stop you from having people into your home or into your life. Another thing here is expect persecution. Be willing to suffer loss. Be willing to be hurt. If there were a house on fire and there were a little girl up and you could see her in her window, would you run in and try to save her? You might get burnt. You might get blackened. You might have to grab her and jump out of the window and you might break a bone. But what would you do to save a life? And I ask you, what will you do to save a soul? Expect persecution. It is normal. There are wolves everywhere. And they're looking to attack. But Jesus has commanded you to be a sheep. Not a warrior in this case, but a sheep. I'll give you one more thing in relation to carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. I think what this really means at its core, is have nothing that holds you back and have nothing that you're not willing to lose for the gospel. I don't think this is instructive for us. I don't think this means that we go out to the park and we strip down no shoes, no cell phone, no nothing. No. This was a command to a very specific people at a very specific time. This is not us. We are not these 72. How do we do something with it, though? Yeah, let's... I mean, maybe practically it's just wise not to carry around $1,000 in your wallet. But if you do, be willing to lose it for Christ's sake. Can he not give you that and so much more? Our next command is this in verse 5. He says, whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. You are bringing peace. This is not some weird mystical thing. Uh, There's a book that was written a while back, The Golden Compass, and the people basically had like a demon that followed them around, and it could go do tricks, and it could come back, and all this stuff. This is not anything weird like that. This is not like, oh, you have the Holy Spirit, but then you have this special extra spirit called peace, and it just hovers and goes. And No. The peace that you bring... Is the peace that you have with God through the forgiveness of sins. It's the message, the gospel message that you have. So bring it with you. And if there's someone there who is a son of peace, I was reading in one of the commentaries and it said that 
in, in Hebrew tradition, if someone was called a son of something, that meant that they were prone towards it. They were being discipled by it. They were learning about it. They wanted it. So if you go and you share the gospel and you encounter somebody who wants this peace with God, stay there. Stay where you're planted. And it's okay if it doesn't work out. Anybody shared the gospel with someone and it was just going so well for so long, but you never did actually see him get saved? Well, that may be because you were the seed planter. It may be because you were the water. It may be because they don't get saved at all. It may be because somebody else is going to enter your labor and reap that harvest. But I promise you, you will lose nothing by investing in the gospel. Nothing. It is all gain in Christ. What does this mean practically? Think about kids again and parents of young kids. It means that you don't have to have all Christian friends. Actually, it's good for Nathan and me and everybody else. You don't have to have all Christian friends. In fact, it's probably a problem if you do. God has sent you to non-Christians. How will they hear the gospel if you're not there? And if you're not willing to be a part of their lives and let them be a part of your life? My families, it means to invite the single people into your home. They need blessings and comfort that your home can offer. And I promise you'll be a blessing in return. You're getting a very, a very strong... What's uh, uh, the I'm looking for? Uh, it's a, <laughs> I'm not used to people actually answering when I say this, thinking out loud. Um, a strong emphasis on hospitality. The gospel requires hospitality, doesn't it? God often works through it. If your couple have young people into your home, it will be an encouragement to them. It may be healing to them. To see a, a godly family raising children for the Lord, to see a husband and a wife and that picture of Christ and the church and unity there, to see a loving relationship between parents and children, to see an example for how this ought to be done, because we don't all come from that. That's me. We don't all come from that. And it is such an encouragement. Individuals, it means don't be afraid of investing in people. There is no loss in his service. But it also means don't invest where there is clearly no son of peace. So somebody told me very recently about they were having a discussion and, and with some Catholics and they were getting nowhere. Go. Your peace will return to you. That was clearly not a son of peace. You're wasting your time. It's not going to be fruitful. Next command is this, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. There's some simple application here. One, I would go to pastors or anybody looking to be in church. It is very legitimate to receive your support from the church, if you're, so long as you're actually laboring for the Lord. You know, we don't want to be somebody who's abusing the Lord. You want to be busy about the Lord's work in prayer, in ministry of the word, in equipping and encouraging the saints. It means that it's good to rely upon him. 
Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. He says, don't go from house to house, right? Stay where you're at. Trust his provision. Be satisfied with what God has given. And this does not apply merely to evangelism. This applies across the board. Wherever you are at in life, you do not have any business going, I want, so I'm going to go get. What you have is what the Lord has provided. And what he has provided is good, and he knows what's good for you. It may be good for you to have a little. It may be good for you to have a lot. It may be good for you to suffer hardships. It's definitely good for you to be content because godliness with contentment is great gain. That's across the board. Verse 8, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, Eat what is set before you. It doesn't give an indicative here, but again, it it just comes down to contentment. Eat what they give you. Don't be jealous of what other people have. God knows what's best for you. Families, when you do have, or, or, or widows, if you were to have people over into your home, you're not a restaurant. You don't have to cater to their every whim. You don't, you know, people have talked to us a lot because we're going to have these this, this new baby and, and they're wanting to bless them because they're wanting to bless us with a meal. There's this new question that we get asked all the time. Do you have any dietary restrictions? If you're having somebody over to your home, do you. Do your food. If you're Indian and you cook Indian food, eat that. If you're Southern and you cook Southern food, eat that. Let them come to you. You're not a restaurant. They will benefit from your culture. They'll benefit from your life. Bring them in. It's all part and parcel. We're sharing life here. And it's good for them to be content. It might be good for them to eat something they've never had before. They'll grow. It'll be great. Don't let your lack stop you from serving with hospitality. If what you have to offer is a cup of water, then offer it. There's no one who gives a cup of water to the saints who didn't give it to Christ. And he is pleased. I've seen it. I've seen folks go spend their last dime to put on, and it's not they're putting on airs. That's not the heart. They just, I don't even think it's to impress. They just want to bless. But my goodness, it's not the food. It's the fellowship. If you've never heard me say that, we haven't talked enough. It's not the food. It's the fellowship. That's why we can do, you know, chili dogs in a couple weeks, and we don't have to do lasagna. All right? Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Uh, Our next command is this, verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Why heal the sick? Because that's what Christ did. He's asking you to have his heart. This is what he did. He loves the lost. Why would you go share the gospel with anyone? Because Christ has a heart for them. He desires their salvation. Seek to do good to them. Follow in your master's footsteps and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. There's nothing more foolish than to be a do-gooder, to go on some kind of a mission trip, right? And we call it missions and we take all this money and raise all this thing and we take time and you take time off of work and you go and you build a church or build a playground or cook or whatever and you never share the gospel. That's not evangelism. If you tell them nice things and hand them a gospel tract, tell them, hey, you ought to come to our church. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is actually personally sharing the gospel. 
God might work through the gospel track. God might get them to church and they might hear the gospel and they might get saved, but I know they'll hear the gospel if you give it to them. Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of God. How blessed are the feet of those who carry that message, right? Romans chapter 10. Samuel, Casey, I wish my kids were in here, but they're not at this moment. This is God's purpose for your life. God has actually made you that you would be saved and that you would share the gospel with other people, that they would be saved. He wants you to serve him in this way. The world's going to tell you all kinds of other things. You need to do this, you need to do that to be successful. College isn't it. Certain income level is not it. It's not what we get paid on earth. It's our rewards in heaven that matter. Do good to people's lives. It's good. Wisdom that is pure and that the Lord looks fair upon is this, to minister to orphans and to widows in their need. Right? This is good. But the greatest ministration they need is that of the gospel. Never neglect the purpose of their salvation. My folks who are a little older in life, this is still the purpose of your life, is to share the gospel. You may wonder why you've got such long waits at the doctor's office, such long lines at the grocery store. I know this. I know they are opportunities to talk to people about the gospel. I know that little tract in your hand with a little bit of practice would be a wonderful tool. Be a sheep. Be a sheep in the midst of wolves. Don't be afraid of offending someone. Don't be afraid of what they're going to say. The Lord himself will be with you. Final command here is this. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So you go, you get rejected. Okay. This should be normal. We should not get all in our feelings and bent out of shape. Discouragement happens. You know what will help you with your discouragement though? Having another person with you. Knowing that this is normal. Knowing that it happened to Jesus. Knowing that it's common to all the brethren all the worldwide. Don't let it stop you though. Share the gospel. Tell them. Warn them. Let your fleeing word. I'm not saying you guys say, let me wipe this dust off. Here's what I think of you. But tell them, look, I came to give you the words of life that you wouldn't go to hell. You need to be afraid. Because I'm going to walk away in a minute. And you may never hear the gospel again. Your life may die. And you may never hear the gospel again. Now is the hour. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. And so I say to you in this room or listening anywhere, do you know that there's going to come a time that it is too late to respond to the gospel? So the kingdom of God has come near. It's come near in this preaching. We've said gospel, 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 gospel over and over and over again. And what is it? It's the good news that the kingdom of God has come near think about what that means it means you are far away and that is where we all are spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses 
enemies of God. Do you understand that apart from God, we are the wolves? You can only become a sheep in Christ, but you're actually, God says you're a wolf. Or you're a goat. And you don't, not only can you not come near to him, you don't want to. Not unless he comes to you. So if he's come near to you and you've heard this message today, confess your sins. That's what's keeping you from him. It may be pride that's keeping you from surrendering your life to him. Confess. Repent. Ask for repentance. Call upon the name of the Lord to save you. There may not be a second chance. What does this mean for us in terms of evangelism? Again, it means not to waste our time where there is no opportunity. This may not be. We may not be in the right part of the field. This part may not be ripe for harvest today. It might be tomorrow, but not today. But somewhere, there's a field that is ripe for harvest. Let's go. Let's be about the Lord's business. And he closes with this. He says, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The greatest example of sin. Open defiance against God, rebellion against him. And the fate that befell them of fire and brimstone. It is better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you if you reject the full message of the cross of Christ. People have to know that. You have, we can't just tell them, Jesus is love, Jesus is good, come to Jesus. You can't just tell them, come be saved. You must tell them what they're being saved from. So is this normative? Is, is everything here, everything for us? No, carry your knapsack, carry your sandals. It's going to, people are, you walk up looking homeless, they're not going to listen to you. But don't walk up in a three-piece suit and intimidate them either, Right? Approach them, share life with them, be open with them, be hospitable with, hospitable with them in every way possible. Be willing to suffer loss, be willing to be abused for the gospel's sake. Don't get discouraged when you get discouraged. That's part of the deal. Go out together, talk with one another, encourage one another. Pray, pray. The power to save is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power to save is in Jesus Christ. It's not in those feet. Amen? It's not in this tongue. Paul says, I, you know, I didn't come with fancy words. I came knowing among you only Christ and Him crucified. If you know that, you know everything you need to know.